We're continuing our time in Romans 13. We are concluding this chapter. Uh, as I mentioned um, earlier and last week, we'll be complete, completing uh, Romans chapter 13 today. Uh, moving forward, um, we're taking a little, um, I guess, hiatus, a sense, uh, a brief break from Romans, and I'll be preaching a Christmas message um, about the birth of Jesus next Sunday, and then the following Sunday after that, I will be preaching a New Year's message um, leading us into the new year. Then after that, we will pick back up in Romans chapter 14. Um, And so the next two weeks, we'll be out of Romans, uh, and then we'll be back in Romans um, after those two weeks. And so just to give you a little side note, a lot of you will be gone and vacationing or doing things out of the area, and so you'll probably forget. That's okay, uh, but I'll remind you, and we'll continue to move forward with that. Um, so we are continuing our time in Romans 13. We are looking at verses 11 through 14 as Paul concludes this letter um, to the churches in Rome. And one of the things that, as Paul, as we will see this morning, Paul will really sum all this up and give quite a challenge, quite a, um, um, uh, a command, um, something that is convicting, something that really ties it all together and is a charge to all Christians. And if you don't know what a charge is, you can, you can look that up. I'll briefly hit on that as we get into our text this morning, but um, I want to ask you a few questions, as I usually do, and uh, the first question is, how do you live? How do you live? How do you live your life? How do you live? A lot of times, Christians, um, if you are a Christian here this morning, we, we love to think or process or evaluate ourselves on how we live based on the Christian things that we do. Sunday mornings, prayer, Bible study, these types of things. But that's not my question. The question is, how do you live? What does your daily routine look like? Day in and day out. Sunday through Saturday. What does your life look like? Routinely. Not just when you go to church, not just when you pray, not just when you read your Bible, and just not any of those things. And if those things aren't part of your life, that's fine. But how does your daily routine look like? How do you live your life? And if you're a Christian here this morning, then I ask you this. What if Jesus returned on a Monday? What if Jesus returned and he came and he took you There you are, standing before him. Last night, what were you doing last night? Now, I know the ladies had a wonderful time last night doing their uh, craft and cookies and all these wonderful things. I might say I I didn't get a little pot pie. I wish I had one, but I didn't. I had some, like, leftovers in the pan from the filling, so that was quite yummy. So... But you guys had a blessed time. The guys, we had a great time hanging out on Friday night and, and doing stuff and playing games. And we went bowling and 
had some food. And we do a lot of these things, but what if Jesus just returned, as the Scripture tells us, like a thief in the night? Like a thief in the night. The Scriptures tell us that one day Jesus will return like a thief in the night, and when a thief comes to rob you, right, you don't know. It's unexpected. It's not something that you're waiting for that is planned. It's unexpected. So what if Jesus returned on a Tuesday, a Wednesday, a Thursday, How do you live your life? This is a question that we all need to continue to process and ask ourselves. And to make it a little more plain and something that we can all process, what if we died tomorrow? What if we died tomorrow? Where would we be? Where would we go? Interesting enough, that very question is the same question that caused me to question my own personal walk, my own personal life, and what I'm to do and not do, and, and to really think about that. And then the person asking me that question asked, would I go to heaven? And my response was this, well, my hope is that I would go to heaven, uh, that I've done enough good to to get there. There's like, but do you know without a doubt that that's where you would go? And I wasn't a Christian at the time. This was many years ago, uh, many years ago, uh, before a lot of you were born. And I was asked that question. And that question really began to hit me even after that conversation. Man, where would I go? Is just living, trying to live a good life enough? Is what I can do on my own will ever be enough? So if you died tomorrow, where would you go? How would you stand before the Lord? What would that look like? Because one day Jesus will return like a thief thief in the night, unexpected, unannounced, It's no time to cram for the exam. No time to do last minute anything. It will be a return. And the time will be over. So process that. How do you live your life daily? Day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. What does your life look like? Before we get to any further in our text this morning, let's pray. Then we'll get in to see what Paul really calls and charges us as Christians on how to live our lives. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. We lift up to you our praises and worship, Lord God. All glory be to you. As we look forward to the, to the birth of the coming King, to the birth of our Lord and Savior, Celebrating Christmas, Lord God, as we look to that, Lord God, may we never forget Resurrection Sunday. Yes, we look to the birth, we look to the cross, but do we look to the empty tomb? Do we look to the conquering of death, the forgiveness of sin, the justification and righteousness, the things that you have done, Lord God, to cleanse us, to pronounce us not guilty before you because of the work 
that Jesus has done for each and every one of us. So Lord, may our time together be of you and no one else. May our time together convict us. Strike our very hearts, Lord God, through the Holy Spirit and your word to live a life worthy to be called sons and daughters. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we have seen leading up to this point, Paul hits on some very key things. We talked about how we as Christians have a civil duty and how we are to live in society, how we are to live under certain rulers, right? And that all of these positions that we have in place that are um, whether locally, mayors, council members, um, governors, presidents, all, all these different things, all these positions have been ordained by God. God has given us, has instituted law and order through these positions, and we see that, and our civil responsibility is to understand that we need to submit as much as we're able to submit, right? We need to live at peace as much as we're able to live at peace, but remembering what? Never compromising our faith. Never. We don't compromise our faith. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what uh, uh, certain uh, leaders in our communities or our state or our country say. We never compromise our faith. And then we see Paul transition in time to where we are to owe no one anything. We need to pay our debts. We need to pay our taxes. We need to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but we must give to God what is God's. And we must love God above all things with all that we are first and foremost. But then he begins to say, he's like, look, understand the love that you've been given by God, how much God has loved you, how much God has sacrificed for you, how much God disciplines you and teaches you and directs you and guides you. Why? Because he cares about you. And as we understand that love and the sacrifice that was made out of that love, grace and mercy and righteousness and just, we are to love others. We are to love others. And he says, love them in such a way as you owe them a debt. He goes, no, owe, owe no one any other debt but a love debt, a debt out of love, but a love that is in accordance with how God commands us to love. It's not the way the lo- world commands us to love out of emotion. I love out of an emotion. I love out of a, what I, my opinion is, what I think is, or what is this, or what is that. I love out of, well, I like this person, I don't like this person, I'm going to love this person, but not that person. That's not how we are called to love. We're called to love as an example that we are given by Jesus Christ himself. The same person who not only gave himself up as a sacrifice for our sins, but the same person that also confronted not only the religious people of the time, rebuked his own disciples, taught in a way that challenged and convicted the very lifestyle of those around him. Understanding that it's not about warm and fuzzy, known conflicts, right? Some of us have these, seen these memes or pictures or different things of, you know, unicorns flying over rainbows and there's all this butterflies and these great you know imaginary things and that's what the world should be the thing is is god is not a god of love 
if he is not a God of righteousness, a God of just. He's not a just God. And we see in and through that, he punishes sin. There's consequences for sin. And he shapes and molds us and he trims us and he cuts things from us. Why? Because he knows what's good for us and what is not. And so within the same package, within the same understanding, this, this agape love that we see, that we embrace, and that we want to have, that just, just wonderful, amazing things of just how God is, we a lot of times have a hard time accepting the righteous God, the just God, the God that disciplines us, that trims us, that breaks us, ultimately to shape and mold us into the people, into the believers, into the followers he has called us to be. And so as we've gone through these passages in Romans 13, we come to the last part, the last section, the last passage here in Romans 13, and Paul really sums all this up to a certain extent on how we are to be as believers, how we are to live. Now, he's been going over that. More than just 13, going all the way back to 12, and it, it's, it's so much jam-packed in here on how we are to live our lives in all these different situations. Because in Rome, so much was going on. So much. Must be reminded of who was in rule at this time, Nero, right? The great persecutor of Christians. And what the early church must have been going through during this time. Nevertheless, this brings us to our text this morning. Please follow along. I'm going to read uh, verses 11 through 14, and then we'll dive right into verse 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The right is far gone. I'm sorry. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of lights. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. Verse 11 I'm going to reread it there and we'll get, get right to it. It says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than we first believed. Now, after Paul's call to all Christians to live as in a, in a love debt to one another and just under, comprehending that, what that love debt is, right? It, it should change drastically what the Christian church looks like. Not only that, it should change drastically what our communities look like, what our workplaces look like, what our daily walk looks like. So as Christians, we are challenged, we are called, we are commanded by Paul to live as in a debt of love towards others. We now see Paul tying this all up, all together, bringing it in here by giving us a warning and a charge. A charge. Now, a charge can be like a command, right? But it's almost like a command with a mission, right? 
It's like, it's like a command with something that here, you need to accomplish this. You need to, you need to, you need to, you need to, um, complete these, this task. But it's a way of something that is ongoing. And the completion is not something that we dictate. It's something that God dictates. So with that understanding, we see that it is absolutely crucial that we understand the present time that we are in. Yes, Paul contextually is speaking to the Roman churches at this time and what they're going through. But we can see how applicable this is for each and every one of us, specifically in the times in which we live in now. Paul is not referring to time in general, but to the end times. To the time where Jesus returns. This is, em- this is essentially an eminent return of Jesus Christ himself. This is the second coming. This is when Jesus returns a second time. This is when we can talk about rapture. We can talk about uh, being uh, glorified. Our time to be brought up to heaven. Whether we are still alive or not. It does not matter. A time is near and a time is coming. And this is where Paul says, this is what we need to focus on. This is what we need to understand. This is what we, how we need to live our lives as time is short. Time is short. Basically, it's a call. It's a call that uh, we are to have for spiritual vigilance. We need to wake up and see. We need to be alert we need to have a realization of an, and an understanding of the second coming. Basically, it is near. When he talks about salvation here in, in, in verse 11, it says, um, wake up from sleep for salvation is near to us. This is not uh, justification salvation. This is not a, a being saved again. Okay? This essentially, it's it's being taken out of this fallen earth. There was a a pastor I was listening to a sermon this week, and uh, he referred to the earth as a a dirt clod, just a lump of dirt in space. And it's a sinful lump of dirt. And one day God is going to destroy all that. One day God is going to take us away from all that and be in glory with him. And so it's, it's not a justification salvation that he's teaching us on. It's a glorification, okay? So justification is at the cross, what Jesus has done on the cross, right? We've been justified. Our sins have been paid for, okay? We've been redeemed. I know I'm using a lot of big words here. And if I haven't explained that well enough in the past or now, I, please forgive me and re, um, I'd love to chat with you more and I can explain those further but it's understanding that the word salvation here is not to be saved again. It's not your initial salvation. It's a salvation from this fallen earth, which is directly tied with glorification. And glorification is the end, right? It's after we've died or we've been raptured, right? We've been taken from this earth on Jesus's return, okay? And we are in glory, which is heaven. We're in the presence of God himself okay we need to understand that this is near this is near so going back to our text it says besides this you know the time so know the time 
know the time. Jesus is coming soon. Ever since Jesus died on the cross, three days later rose from the grave, walked to earth, preached, taught, proved that he, who he was and, and fulfilled the prophecies, then ascended into heaven. From that time, Christians have been looking to the coming Christ, the second coming, the future hope. This is what Paul is talking about. Besides this, you know the time. So it's like, look, Christians, know the time that you are living in, okay? That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. To wake from sleep. I'm going to get to that in just a moment on why he's saying we need to wake from sleep, okay? Because basically this is what the rest of the passage is teaching us. It's a, it's a life of spiritual alertness that we need to have, moral purity that we should have, and the time is short. Time is short. The charge is not to be lethargic, not to be complacent, not to be inactive with your faith. Thing is, the Savior is coming. He is coming again. This is what Paul is teaching us here. Literally, where it says, has come for you to wake from sleep, that wake from sleep means to not be lethargic, to not be stagnant, to not be caught in your slumber. Okay, And we're going to look at a passage here in a moment that talks about that. How Christians, a lot of times they come to a saving faith. They're like, okay, I have Jesus. I have salvation. Okay, I have this thing called a Christian. I'm a Christian. Okay, I'm going to put that in my pocket, and then I'm just going to continue to live my life how I've been living it for the last however many years. That's not what we're called to do. That's not what being a Christian is. Now, a lot of you have heard me say this in the past. That's what living a label is. Oh, I have the label of Christian. So when I'm asked in the right context or the right situation, I can say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. When Jesus returns and we have to give an account on who we are, Jesus is a, he's not going to say, oh, yeah, this one time you rose a hand, this one time you filled out a card, this one time you said this, this one time you said that, okay, you're a Christian. The scriptures tell us, it said that they will be known by their fruits. James tells us you cannot have faith and not have works. You can't. None of this is saying you need to work for your faith. None of this is saying you need to do A, B, C, and D to be saved. What this is saying is true Christians will do this without question. Why? Because of their conviction through the Holy Spirit out of what? Love for God. Why do you do this? Because I love God. When's the last time you responded that way? Why do you go to church? Because I love God. Why do you read your Bible? Because I love God. Why do you pray in public? Because I love God. Why do you give to the church? Because I love God. A lot of times Christians respond, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. Because I have to. That's what is expected of me. That's what I'm told to do. See, we've really lost a love for God. 
That's what Paul has been teaching us, teaching us, teaching us, teaching us. And he says that all of our acts should flow from our love for God. Not out of some debt that I owe him. Not out of some requirement that I'm afraid that somebody in my church might find out. I do it because I love God. I serve the church because I love God. I'm part of the body of Christ because I've loved God. I serve the body of Christ because I've loved God. I set up chairs because I love God. I bring cookies because I love God. Fill in the blank. But what's the motive? What's the motive? So in and through this, we should see, besides this, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. A lot of us have this understanding. God knows I love him, so therefore, why do I need to do all those things? Well, doing all those things won't save me. Doing all those things doesn't prove my salvation. You're right, absolutely 100% true. But you doing those things shows that you love God. If that's your motive. We get it so twisted, so twisted, so many times. And a lot of times it's, well, I need to prove to people that I love God, so I'm going to do all these things, and our motives is not for God, it's for people. Or we believe that, well, God knows I love Him, why do I need to say it? God's all-knowing, right? Why do I need to pray? I don't need to go to church. See, He tells us over and over in the Scriptures, if you love me, obey my commands. If you love me, you'll love one another. If you love me, you'll do this. If you love me, you'll do that. If you love me, you're going to be part of the body. You need to be part of a body of Christ. If you love me, you can't tell one part of the body that you don't need me or one part of the body you don't need to be here. If you love me, if you love me. But see, do we have a true understanding of the love of God? It's so important. And I want to reiterate that. There's a reason why Paul hit it so much even in a chapter such as this. Why? Because it all gets summed up here. It's so important for us to understand. It says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. Don't be lethargic. Don't be complacent. Don't be in a slumber in your faith. Why? Because you love God. Now I'm going to take a little sidestep here and say, you know what? Sometimes we just don't feel like loving God. I agree with you 150 million percent. I don't know how much I can convey that to you. There are times we just don't feel like loving God. Been there, done that. I'm sure I'll do it again. But then you begin to see why it's so important, why God tells us be part of a body of Christ. Fellowship with other believers. Right? Some of you, you don't, you, you, you don't show up, and I don't know why you didn't show up to church. And like, hey, I might have someone call you. I might call you myself or reach out. Hey, everything okay? Why? Because you belong to a body. When the body comes together and the right hand's missing, hey, where's right hand? I don't know. Have you seen right hand? We love one another. 
We have to understand. We do this out of a love for God. We have to understand the time is near. We should not be complacent. We should not be asleep. We should not be in a, in a, in a way we're just stagnant in our faith. I don't care if we're crawling, we're inching, we're tiptoeing, or we're jumping leaps and bounds towards Jesus as long as we're moving towards him. Because in, in my opinion and in my studies, I truly believe if we're not moving towards him, we're moving towards something else. We're just, we're just not stopped. We're just not stopped there. We're going somewhere. It's not in the right direction. So don't be asleep for salvation is nearer to us now when we first believed. I'm going to get into our, our supported passage here in just a moment, but it's understanding that each moment is closer to the return of Jesus. Right now, is behind what is here right now and being closer to Jesus. As each second goes by, we're closer, we're closer, we're closer. Now, we don't know the time, we don't know the exact day, we don't, only God knows. But we need to live as such, we're getting closer, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. We need to live as such. We need to not be the, the old person on our deathbed trying to cram for the exam. Where, oh man, I'm going to die soon. I know I'm going to die soon. Let me, I need to read my Bible. I need to read my Bible. I need to read my Bible. I need to talk to people. I need to pray. I need to, and it's like our life looks nothing as it did for the past however many years. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't let that be you. Let, let your life reflect that. Why? Because you love God. Because you love God. So we must understand we must not be in the slumber. We must not be caught asleep. Turn with me to Mark 13. Mark 13. Some of you may be like, wow, we haven't been in Gospel of Mark in a long time. And it's still there. Mark chapter 13, verse 30. Truly I say to you, so Jesus is speaking here, he's teaching. Mark chapter 13, starting verse 30. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus is talking about the return, right? His second coming, okay? Only the Father knows. Verse 33, be on guard, Keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake 
Verse 35, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Now, we can look at it as like, wow, we can't sleep. If I sleep, I'm going to sin. Jesus says, stay awake. He's like, no, you need to understand. As Christians, we, we need to live our lives consistently. That's the hardest thing as a Christian, being consistent. It's so difficult. So difficult. We have seasons. Seasons. Up and down. Up and down. It's so hard for us to be consistent. So hard. Some of us might be really good at it. I've journaled every day for five years. Awesome. Praise God. What have you learned? How's it changing your life? I remember years ago, and I... And I I feel bad, but I don't. I had a student come up and he's like, I've read a chapter, uh, so many chapters in the Bible every single day this week. Great, what'd you read? Why I read this. And he's talking about King David when he was going through how he was anointed and he was a boy and all these things. And um, and, uh, he goes, I read through these chapters. It's like, wow, there's some amazing stories in there. What do you think about this? That was in there? Yeah. What about this story? Who's that? Look, I'm happy for you that you're in the Word, but what are you learning? What are you learning? Some of you are completely opposite of me. You can go and you can read chapters on chapters and comprehend and understand. I envy you. Some of us here... I go and read three, par- three passages and I'm like, wait, what did I just read? Let me go back and I'll reread it and I'll reread it. And I'm like, I-, I can't read very much at a time. It's hard. It's difficult. I-, I-, I am not an analytical learner. Some of you that know about learning styles or going into the teaching field, there's different learning styles. Some of you that are psychologists or going into that realm, you know about different things. I'm a practical learner. You can tell me all day long, but unless I can connect the dots and see how I can apply it in my life, I have to know the whys and the inner workings, right? I, I, it's hard for me to, to process it. It's hard for me to remember it. I'm a practical learner. But see, the thing is we see here is like we must stay awake. We must apply the scriptures to our lives, and we must be consistent. Be consistent. A lot of times, we, and I'm going to preach on this in a couple weeks about New Year's resolutions and how they're so horrible, right? Okay, I know some of us love them, but it shouldn't be New Year's resolutions. It should be New Year set up to fail, right? Because we make these New Year's resolutions that are so lofty, and it's like, is it obtainable? Is it reachable? The thing is, is as a believer, and we struggle with things and being consistent, like, I need to be, I'm going to read my Bible every day this year. And it's like, are you really? It's a good goal. Go get them, tiger, right? But is it practical? 
It's a lot like dieting, right? I'm going to cut carbs, no sugars, no... This whole year, we make it to like... I don't even think we make it out of January sometimes. I'm there. I stopped doing some of that stuff because I just... It's so hard for me. I love food. I'm sorry. Jesus, forgive me. But I like food. I like sweets. I cut sugars and carbs. My body knows it, right? I get shaky. I'm itchy, right? I need carbs. I need sugars. What is my point is when we... God is calling us to stay away. We need to be consistent in our faith, in our walk, and how we approach these things. Yes, we need to grow, but we need to consistently grow. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's something that we need to place in front of us. So it's like, okay, I'm going to grow through this. I'm going to progress in my faith. And we need to approach it in that way to where, yes, we allow God to to push us leaps and bounds. But there are times, and these are the majority of the times of our daily walk is just a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. But we must understand this one warning, this charge that we see right here is to stay awake. Don't be caught off guard when the master returns. Don't be surprised. We need to truly embrace and understand the warning and the understanding and the charge that Paul is giving us here and that we've seen throughout Scripture, not just in Mark chapter 13, that we need to stay awake. So let's get on to verse 12. So I'm going to reread verse 11 and go into verse 12. It says, Besides this, you know, the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than, it, than when we first believed. Okay, that's every single minute our salvation is coming. Lord's going to return sooner and sooner and sooner every minute that passes throughout the day. Verse 12, the night is far gone. Okay, what does that mean? The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The world in which we live in is dark. It's a dark world. It's a sinful place and the night of sin. That is, um, basically, the world in which we live in is dark and the night of sin that is running its course, okay, is basically the world in which we live in. The day of eternal glory is about to come for believers. That's the return, okay? The return of Jesus is our time, if we have not uh, passed yet, to, be, to go to glory, to go to heaven, okay? That time is coming for all believers and only believers. So Paul charges us to cast off all of our filthy garments, okay? All of our works of sin, Anything that is unrighteous. This is the old self. We've heard Paul talk about this. Okay? Putting off our old self. We are a new being. We are a new creation in Jesus. Right? But see, a lot of times, and, 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 and I don't know if you remember this, but as uh, uh, being a new believer, okay? We are a new being. We are a new creation. Right? Our old is gone. 
But a lot of times we like to drag that old corpse behind us. We do. And it stinks. You remember that? I talked about that. This is months ago. Our old is gone, but we like to drag it. We like to drag it with us. How many times, whether, um, and, and, and I came to saving faith when I was older, not in school, not when I was little. I was already out of, I was already out of school. I was in the military. I was already married before I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. It's like, okay, I'm a Christian. Wave the magical wand, poof, you're this new holy being, right? No. Okay, I'm a Christian. And I, I like to give this example this way. Diane and I, we got saved together like the same time, same day, right? Same account. We, we accepted Jesus at the same time. But for her, it was like, whew, leaps and bounds. For me, it was like, uh, no, I like my old self. I like doing these things. But the difference is, I was convicted. From that point on, as I, okay, I like doing these old things, and I'd go do them, and then I was convicted. So you know what? I probably shouldn't be doing that. I probably shouldn't be doing this. And God changed my heart slowly. Some of you might remember some stories I've told before to where, you know, there was times that... Um, uh, my wife and I would get in arguments. I'm like, why are we arguing? And there was a moment where she said, because you're becoming more godly than I am. And I don't like that. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's a good thing. Can you high five me or something? You know, but because she was growing so exponentially and I was taken so slow, right? But then I began to grow faster, right? And then she struggled with that. And we get like that sometimes. We think that our faith is a competition. But it's not. We're all on different spiritual journeys, different paths, right? Ultimately leading to the same what? The same God, the same Savior. There's only one God. There's only one Jesus. It's not different names, different ways. It's one. But we, as individuals, how God has created us, and the past that he has for us, we have different gifts, different personalities. That's a beautiful thing. Understanding that this world is a fallen place and eternal glory was coming, but the thing is we need to understand, Paul says here, you need to, the dark, the sin, these filthy things, we need to leave them behind. Leave them behind. And for some of us, that's hard. That is hard. There are some things in each and every one of our lives here that is in the shadows, that is in secret. Paul's saying, now's not the time to hang on to those. You need to leave those be. Let them go. You need to repent of your sins, turn away from your sin, and leave it behind because the time is near. Why? Because you love God. Because you love God. A lot of times, Christians have the wrong motive for things. 
I need to give to the church because I want to get blessings. I need to give this up because I want blessings. And what are we doing? Self-idolization. It's what we want. Selfishness, pride. It's what we want. I give to the church because I love God. I give up these things because I love God. We need to change our, not only our perspective, but our motives behind what we do. Why? Because the time is near. Because the time is near. So then we were given a solution, right? And it's something we should already know. A lot of us know this already. And Paul says here, he reminds us of this, right? The night is far gone. Okay, look, you're, you're saved. You're a believer now. You should not be of the night. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off, right? The day it at, is at hand. That's not talking about day and night. Night is, re, is in reference to sin. Excuse me. The day at hand is in reference to Jesus' second coming, right? It's near, okay? So then let, let us cast off the works of darkness, sin, our old self, okay? Stop dragging that corpse, right? Then it says what? Put on the armor of light. God is pure light. Pure light. So there's two references here, armor and light. We are called to be the salt and the light of the earth, right? Let your light shine. Some of you may have uh, uh, sang that song in children's ministry, okay? Let your light shine, this little heart of mine. Okay, I'm not going to sing. I'm not a singer. There's a reason why Jeff's up here and not me, okay? But understanding what that means, that light, and what is that light? Letting people see the hope and salvation that lies within you. Why? Because you love God. We hate sin. Why? Because I love God. Rebuke sin. Why? Because I love God. Follow Jesus. Why? Because I love God. Let your light shine. Why? Because I love God. What is your light? God. Your salvation. The gospel. His word. So, Understanding what that is, that light, it's God, right? And then understanding what our protective covering, right, is from God by, the, by um, living what? A holy life. Living a holy life. We see this where? In Ephesians chapter 6. Turn me there, it's Ephesians chapter 6. I think I, it says 14 and 18. I'm going to do a couple um, extra verses that are part of that. But it turned to Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we're going to start on verse 13. Just one verse before that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as, sh and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times. See that? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. It's very clear what the armor is. And part of that armor is praying consistently in the Spirit, praying consistently, praying, never ceasing. Why? Because the times are dark that we are in. But let your light shine. Put on the armor. Stay awake. We must walk in the Spirit. We must boldly proclaim Jesus, the Gospel. We must stand firm. We see stand repeatedly mentioned in this passage. We must repeat, I'm sorry, we must repent and turn away from our sin and live a life worthy to be called sons and daughters. Why? Because we love God. Let's move on, verse 13. Back in Romans 13. Verse 13, now it says, let us walk properly. So we see that, right? See that flow and what Paul and how Paul is teaching us and, and giving us these answers. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Okay? So now we see a huge emphasis on the Christian walk and how we live daily, right? We are children of the day. We are children of light. We are children of good, children of righteousness, and we should walk as such, right? Remember, head, heart, walk, okay? The scriptures help teach us, renew us, transforming and renewing of our mind, ultimately to be embraced, right, in our hearts, and as we do that, it should ultimately what? Transform us into a new being, a new creation. So then we begin to what? Live it out. It should be seen. It should be noticeable in our daily walk. Christians should have nothing to do with any part of these sins that Paul has listed here. And this is just a sample now, it's interesting, and, and Paul typically d does this. When you look into a um, list of sins by Paul, you'll see it starts out really strong, and it goes into lighter things. Because a lot of times we look at some of these things like, oh, I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't do that. And the next thing you know, we see things such as quarreling, jealousy, right? Have you ever been jealous? You ever gotten in a quarrel, an argument, a fight? And so it goes strong to light because a lot of times it's like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm fine. What does that remind you of? should remind you of the young rich ruler who approached Jesus wanting to be one of his disciples. He's like, oh, I need to keep my commands. He's like, oh, okay, what? And he lists the commands like, oh, yeah, I've done that and I've done that. And then Jesus goes, well, what you need to do then is go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor and come follow me. And then what did it say? He went away sad. 
there's always something there that we struggle with. Jesus sees the heart. God sees the heart. God knows what's in the way between you and Him, between you truly following Him 100%. Why? Because we constantly see in Scriptures like, I want all of you. All of you. Love me with all of your mind. Love me with all of your strength. Love me with all of your will. God wants all of us. Not every person on this world. That's not the the context. The context there is you. Everything. He wants all of you. We need to understand and see that this is these things get in the way. Because when we continue to latch on to sin and keep sin right close to us, whether it's hidden or not, it gets in the way. It fractures our relationship. Oh, yes, it fractures the blessings and everything else. But that's not why we do it. We do it why? We should get rid of those things. We should repent. We should turn away. Why? Because we love God. Because we love God. So we need to begin to truly understand that Christians should not do these things. We are called to a higher standard. Why? Because we love God. Then because of our love for others, we need to remember these things. Remember, it's God first, God first, God first, God first. Love others. Love as if you are in debt to them. Not for stuff, not financially, not for favors. Love. You interact with them as you're in debt to them out of love. I owe you love. Turn me to Ephesians chapter 4. Back to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians is a great study. Even just chapter 4 in within itself is an amazing study. Um, We're going to look at the first six verses here. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of of the calling to which you have been called. That alone, that verse alone, convicts me over and over and over again. I mean, I can put that up um, next to my bed, on my phone, in my car, in the, wherever. I can put it up all over and, and just be a constant reminder. But you know what? A lot of times, I, I don't need that. Because there are times that it's like all of a sudden it just pops up. Pops up. Whether I'm doing something I shouldn't do, whether I've done something I shouldn't do, whether I'm not, I'm stagnant in my faith, whatever, then that that just pops up. The Holy Spirit pops that up in my head, and it's like, I need to walk in a manner worthy. How convicting is that? Verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, okay, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And it's like that first part as we see this charge, we see this like, okay, this is how you should be living. Why? Because it's, you're, you're united. You're of one mind. You're of one spirit, one God, one hope. It's all for the same person. We're all serving the God. It's all for the same. A lot of times we quarrel, we argue, we have disputes, we have these things, but at the end of the day, what? One mind, one spirit, one unity, and one God, one Savior, one baptism, why? Because we love one another. Paul is continuing to help us understand and see how we should live our lives. As he says here, let us walk properly as in the daytime. We should walk as we are called to walk. Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So some of us may be saying, "How, I, I, Pastor Raph, I struggle with this. How can I do this consistently? A lot of times we have a conviction. We go to live out that conviction, and it, it's very short-lived. It's like a little spark that comes and goes, a little vapor, right? It's something that is not consistent. Paul's constantly giving us application on how to be consistent in our faith. And we see that here. These are, this is one of the key commands that as Christians, we should learn how to do on a daily basis. And that is to be more Christ-like. That's the first thing we should do. In all things, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean to put him on? It's basically how Jesus lived is how we should live. This is our sanctification process. What is the sanctification process? This is the continuing spiritual process by those, by believers who have been truly saved. They are transformed into his likeness, right? A Christian essentially is a Christ follower or a little Christ, a little Christian, so to speak. And that's how we should look. That's how we should act. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't worry, we're moving along a little faster now. We'll be getting to our close here in a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Brief note right there. Those who are not saved are separated from God eternally. Okay? 
There's a veil. They cannot understand God. They don't understand his ways. They, don't, they can't. There's a veil there. They can't see it until God removes that veil. Okay? So then they can see. Now, here, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we begin to see that we are to be transformed. This is a sanctification to be more like Jesus each and every day. So basically, as we are moving closer, time is near, stay awake, right? Each moment, we are one moment closer to the coming of Jesus Christ. We should be one moment more like Jesus Christ. That's the expectation. Why? Because we love God. We should make no room for sin. And this is where Paul concludes here. Right? Put on Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We should make no room for sin. Our old corrupt nature. We should not be dragging that corpse behind us. Our flesh, our old self, should constantly... We have to understand, our old flesh, our old sin, these things that we have turned from, if you have, will constantly try to get back in your life. It will. Absolutely. There are those that are in Christian organizations that are recovering from different sins in their lives, and one of the things that they teach them is, you've never fully recovered from sin. It's always there. What does that mean? It's always be a temptation. Always. Maybe I'm not living in it anymore like I once was, and I, I, I have an element of repentance and turning from it and being restored to a proper relationship with God. But it's always going to be there trying to wiggle its way back in. This is part of not being complacent. Are not being stagnant. The problem is, as Christians, we love to flirt with temptation. We love to. How close can I get to sinning without sinning? If we ever have that thought or mentality, you've already crossed the line. We love to flirt with sin. We know our struggles. Here's the thing. If you know what you struggle with, why flirt with it? Why be tempted by it? Why? Don't do it. Well, I really want to watch this movie. Is it worth it? I really like this music. Is it worth it? Ah, let's switch it up. I don't watch that movie because... I love God. I don't listen to this kind of music because I love God. I deleted this social media account because I love God. See the motive? See the difference? What does the scriptures tell us about sin? If a right hand causes us to sin, cut it off. 
It's not to dismember physically a bunch of Christians, but it's to understand that I value God and I understand his love that much and my love for him that much that, you know what? I don't need that. Ah, how much do you hate sin? Do you hate sin? Well, hate such a strong word. Absolutely right. Welcome to understanding how God views sin. God hates sin. Do you hate sin? We flirt too much with these temptations and we know our struggles. We know the temptations that are in our mind. We know the temptations that are in our heart. We know the temptations that are in our flesh. Why do we flirt with them? Why do we allow it to continue to be there? We should not indulge sin, not even a little bit. We should give it zero opportunity to pop back up in our lives. A Christian's lifestyle must be pure and holy, especially in view of Christ's return. This is what Paul is teaching us to do, to strive for. Now, it's not, if you're not pure and holy, God's going to reject you. Thing is, God already sees us ultimately as pure and holy. Why? Because he sees us through the lens of Jesus Christ. As a true believer, if you are today, that's how God sees you. Does that mean we can just sin and it's already been? No, that's not, we're not to, we don't go on sinning. Why? Because we love God. Because we love God. A Christian's lifestyle should be pure and holy. The thing is, do we make mistakes? Absolutely. Do we stumble? Absolutely. Do we have seasons where we fail and stumble and we don't do as good as we should be doing as well as we could be doing? Absolutely. But some continue and even to go a step further with sin. Here's a contrast. For a Christian to plan out specific ways to gratify the sinful nature is appalling. I equate it to this. It's literally walking up to Jesus, hanging on the cross and spitting in his face. That's how I view it. To Christians, to plan out sin, sinful things in specific ways, that's what it looks like. I know what I'm doing is wrong, so I need to deceive those that I'm around. I need to make sure no one finds out. We think that God can't see. God doesn't know. Not only are we spitting in the face of Jesus, but we're calling God stupid. We're calling him dumb. Because we think we can hide from him. Just like Adam and Eve going all the way back to Genesis 3, right? They committed the sin. What did they do? They hid from him. I was like, oh, God's coming. Let's hide. He won't, he won't see us over here. And we have that mentality. It's crazy, right? That's the flesh taking back over. Thing is, there's this one thing that is truly amazing that God offers and gives us freely. And that's His grace. Undeserved favor. He's never going to leave us nor forsake us. But He knows. He knows. Turn me to Galatians chapter 5. And then we'll close. Galatians 
chapter 5. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love. Serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And you can keep on reading there. It tells uh, um, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and there's a struggle that's going on there, and which one are you going to feed more? And it gives us examples, but the thing is, we need to understand, we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to continue to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. So how do you live? What does your daily walk look like? Are you walking in the Spirit? Or are you walking in the flesh? 1 John chapter 3, verses 1-3 through 3 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. What if Jesus returned unexpected, unexpected this week, like a thief in the night? How would you stand before him? My prayer is that we continue to look to Jesus and understand why we do what we do. It should be because we love Him. And because we love Him, we love others. So may our lives reflect this. Let us pray. Lord God, thank You for all that You've given us in our time together this morning. May Your Word truly penetrate our hearts, draw us nearer to You, and fully understand Your call on our lives and how we are to live out that call. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.